Pay close attention now. I'm creating new heavens and a new earth. All the earlier troubles, chaos and pain, are things of the past to be forgotten. Look ahead with joy. Anticipate what I'm creating. No more sounds of weeping in the city. No cries of anguish. No more babies dying in the cradle or old people who don't enjoy a full lifetime. 100th birthdays will be considered normal. Anything else will seem like a cheat. They'll build houses and move in. They'll plant fields and eat what they grow. No more building a house that some outsider takes over. No more planting fields that some enemy confiscates. For my people will be as long-lived as trees. My chosen ones will have satisfaction in their work. They won't work and have nothing come of it. They won't have children snatched out from under them, for they themselves are plantings blessed by God with their children and grandchildren. Likewise, God blessed. Before they call out, I answer. Before they finished speaking, I'll have heard. Wolf and lamb will graze the same meadow. Lion and ox eat straw from the same trough. Snakes? They'll get a diet of dirt. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill anywhere on my holy mountain, says God. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Pastor Ruth, and part of our worship this fall has been hearing stories from our community. And this morning, we have one of our younger members here to share a story with us. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, my name is Luca. Uh, How old are you? I'm 13. Okay. And where do you go to school? Uh, I go to school at Einstein Middle School. Nice. And how many in your family? There's seven of us. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, I know that you have had some experiences, and especially one in the past, where you did not have a lot of peace and where you were in, feeling in a lot of chaos. Tell us a little bit about what was going on. Well, about two years ago, we were, we, my family took a trip to Switzerland for six months, and we were going to go to school there, even though we didn't really know the language very well. <laughs> and uh, the third day there, I fell and broke my hand, oh. and uh, I was, couldn't write, and I could barely speak, and kids took advantage of that and sort of bullied me. Wow, that sounds like a horrible situation. What, what happened? Where did you see God in that? Well, there is this outdoor ice skating rink down by the beach that I'd go to almost every day. And I would just skate for hours and let my mind wander. And I'd watch the sunset every night. And yeah, I started going to church with my grandpa, to my grandparents' church. And uh, yeah, I'd met a bunch of friends and I'd go to their Bible studies, and it calmed me. Thank you for sharing. It sounds like God provided places for you of peace during that tough time. Well, we're glad you're here with us, and I'd just like to pray for you and pray for our youth in the church. God, thank you for Luca, and thank you for his willingness to share his story of finding peace in a hard time. Thank you for the way you encourage us through each other's stories. And I just pray for all of our kids 
all of our kids in school and all of our younger kids, Lord, who are feeling whatever they're feeling, experiencing whatever they're experiencing. God, we want to be a community who stands with them, who prays for them and cares for them. And I thank you for uh, the leaders and the Sunday school teachers and the adults here who are volunteering to invest in our kids. We pray that that would bear fruit in your name. Amen. Would you stick this on that stand? Thank you. Thanks, Luca. That was a, I heard that story and it just touched my heart thinking about what our subject is this morning. I uh, have enjoyed being here this fall especially, and there was only one Sunday I missed. I missed because my husband was taking a business trip to New York, and I have never been, and I got to go along. It was awesome. We had such a fun time. There's just, it feels like a city full of smells and tastes and... Uh, just all kinds of adventures. And during that time, we had a conversation with somebody in, in the business realm on Wall Street. And that story that that man told me at dinner has just stuck with me, and it kind of came back up as I was studying in the last couple of weeks. He, this is a person with a lot of money and a lot of power. And as the evening went on, and we, we were talking about the direction the world is going, the direction our country is going, and he said, you know, I have a plan. I have a plan. If things fall apart, I have a plan of escape. And I said, well, you know, tell me about that. And he said, you know, I've searched all over the world, and I found a country that has a stable democratic government. It has a stable economy, stable money. Uh, it is a beautiful place to live and has all the resources you need for life but it does not have the kind of resources that other countries want, and so it's unlikely that somebody would try to take over that country. It, uh, it also has... Um, it's far away. It's far away, and it's not near any of the, the countries that have nuclear arms, so it's unlikely to be pulled into some kind of conflict. And so he has visited that country, he has invested money and has money saved there, and New Zealand, it turns out, is heaven. <laughs> New Zealand is the place where he imagines that his family can have a safe haven in a, in, in a disaster, and that his family is already instructed about how to get to New Zealand in the case of the world falling apart. So that was kind of an interesting picture for me as I thought about what is our safe haven? What is our picture? of how life can flourish. What does it have to look like? We all have the same heart and desires. I thought, here's this you know, Wall Street investment banker. He has the same heart as a goat herder in Africa, as a teacher in South America, as all of us do. Our hearts are the same, and that is that we long to live in health and safety. We want food and shelter for our children. We want to live where there's no violence. Everyone wants to have long-term loving relationships where they feel cared for and where they're giving care to others. Everyone wants to be useful in their life, to have the opportunity to work or to be creative. So what do we do in the world that we have where things aren't right? Do we need an escape plan? Should we all be buying land in New Zealand? Or is it possible to live surrounded by conflict and anxiety and loss and still thrive? I've heard that you can have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day 
even in Australia and probably New Zealand. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about a very different plan, a plan that comes from the very creative heart of God, and it's encompassed in this little word, shalom. Shalom is God's dream of how things ought to be. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word today, we are in awe of your hopes and dreams and vision of the life you intend for us to have on earth because it's so far from what we experience. God, would you encourage us this morning from your word? Would you change our hearts so that we can more and more be part of your vision of bringing shalom to earth? In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're in the final week of this series we've called Constant, and we've been following themes through the whole scripture, which for me has meant we've heard a lot about Genesis, a lot about Revelation, and a lot about Jesus. And that's a pretty good summary of the things that are most important about our faith. But we followed these themes like justice and work and rest and intimacy and covenant. And we've seen what was God's intention for that subject in creation, how that has been disrupted in the experience of humankind, how at the bottom of our despair and chaos, Christ came and changed the tra trajectory of history so that we would have hope, and that we are on that upward side from the bottom of where Jesus came with hope towards the culmination of God's plan to restore everything to his vision that he had in creation and his desire. So we're going to start with the word shalom. It's a Hebrew word. Most of you have heard it as a common greeting. That means peace. Uh, one summer, I, I was a Bible teacher, and I decided it would be good to know a little Hebrew, so I took an intense Hebrew class up at Regent College for the summer. And that summer, I cried every single day. First of all, it was so hard, and I was so bad. And it's it's hard as an adult to be a learner, to be really new at something. So there was that. But also when you immerse yourself in a language, you, it exposes you to a kind of culture shock because the language is often one of the ways that tells us what we value as a culture. And the Hebrew culture really confronted a lot of my basic assumptions and perspectives in the world. And so this chart is just kind of a quick... Um, summary of the difference between the Greeks and the Hebrews, and I put Greek because I'm talking about their culture, but most of us in the Western world have been mostly influenced by Greek thinking. And so in Greek culture, the individual is the most important thing, whereas in Hebrew culture, they saw all of life through the lens of community. In the Greek culture, ideas are the most important thing, and what we think about and in the Hebrew culture, our belief is shown not in what we say, but in what we do, and actions are the most important thing. In Greek culture, reason is the way that we come to know things. And in the Hebrew culture, revelation is the source of truth. The Greek culture has sort of a disdain for things physical. They really separate the physical from the spiritual. And the, the spiritual is much more important and the physical is sort of looked down on. Whereas for the Hebrews, we, they were integrated people and all of life was valuable. Our body, soul, and spirit. And so for, one of the ways that that comes out in the language is, is in the English language and in Greek, 
Words were valued for precision, so we wanted lots of words, right? That was, there was this idea of knowing a lot. In the Hebrew culture, words are more like a backpack. There's less of them to learn, but each word has a lot more depth and breadth. It means a lot, and you have to figure it out in the context. So shalom is one of those words. It is a backpack of meaning. And the common one is peace. And 162 times in the Old Testament, shalom is translated as peace. For instance, those who promote shalom, peace, will have joy. The Lord blesses his people with shalom, peace. Seek peace, shalom, and pursue it. And probably one a lot of us memorized as kids in Sunday school, Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And perfect peace is the... Tra- there is no perfect, word perfect, in Hebrew. And so the, the, the literal translation is, you will keep in shalom, shalom, those who trust in you. Double shalom is perfect peace. But another meaning that it's translated uh, 22 times in the Old Testament has to do with health and wellness and well-being. For instance, when uh, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt and they tell him, our father is well, he is alive. And the word is, our father is shalom, because health and well-being are part of shalom. It's also translated words about security and being safe. For instance, when uh, King Saul was trying to kill David and his son Jonathan was trying to help him escape, and Jonathan says, I want you to go in safety. I want you to go in shalom. So there's a sense of things being safe and secure. There's also, it's also translated friendly. It's translated prosperity. So it's a big, big word. Tim Keller defines it this way a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social, spiritual, because all relationships are right, perfect, filled with joy. It's even better than New Zealand. This is God's dream, to see all that was created flourish together based on relationships, relationships of people, relationships of people with nature, Uh, relationships of people with animals, relationships done right. Physical life was going to flourish. There'd be healthy bodies and healthy oceans and healthy minds. There would be emotional life that is flourishing. Families, communities, and cities would be healthy. Social life would be thriving. There would be clubs. There would be thriving schools. There would be ethnic groups and international groups that would be thriving. There would be a spiritual life that is vital and joyful. Intimacy with God, work, justice, goodness, creativity. This is how things ought to be. And this is how creation is described in Genesis 1. In the creation story, each thing is created and the declaration is it was good. Light was created and it says light was good because light was doing what it was created to do illuminate the dark. Water was created and it was good because water was doing what it was created to do, give life. Plants, animals were all declared good because they were functioning as God intended and even humankind at creation was declared good 
as Adam and Eve showed up both to be God's friend and to join God in the continuation of creation through their work and relationships. So that the conclusion in Genesis 1.31 is God saw everything he had made and indeed it was very good. So when everything created is beautifully fulfilling its intended purpose, that is shalom. So I want us all just to take a minute and imagine. We get little tastes of this. We get a little taste occasionally of where we see shalom. And I want you to just get a picture in your mind of a time of well-being. The one that came to mind for me this week as I was thinking about it, I used to teach two-year-olds in a Bible study class. And during the, the class time, ages were in classrooms. But at the end of the day, all the different ages of kids would come together for a story and singing time. And so siblings of different ages would wander into that room and it would be like uh, long-lost lovers finding each other. They would run across the, you know, the room to hug their sister or brother. They would sit with them in their lap and stroke them. They would giggle and laugh. And it was just this tiny picture of shalom, which, of course, the moms never got to see. <laughs> it actually happened. Siblings doing what siblings are supposed to do offering support and care and fun in each other's lives. And so we get these little windows where we see all relationships are right and perfect and filled with joy. But minutes later, as those kids were being picked up by their moms, I would often see them fighting and bickering all the way to the parking lot <laughs> because disruption happens. Shalom as we well know, has been disrupted. And our passage really alluded to the disruption that has been occurring, life as we know it, which is that babies die. Babies die of malnutrition. Babies die of SIDS. Babies die of abuse. And this is not how things ought to be. We lose friends and family to cancer, to addiction, to mental illness. And this isn't how life is supposed to be. We see disrupted housing through war, through divorce, through losing a job. And that's not how life is supposed to be. We see people work hard and not be paid appropriately. Or we see people who worked hard their whole life and lose their hard-earned retirement. That isn't how life is supposed to be. So take another minute and just think for a moment of a current place where you're experiencing that shalom has been disrupted in your life. Most of us don't have to go very far for that thought. Shalom, God's dream of how life should be, has been disrupted. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because... I honestly think most of us are pretty familiar with that. Isaiah 53 puts it this way. We're all sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing and gone our own way. This is not how things ought to be. Our stories are full of the disruption of peace, even in New Zealand, where they experienced a very large earthquake this week, coincidentally. <laughs> 
So there is no safe haven on earth. That brings us to our need for hope. So where is our hope? And the real question is, who is our hope according to the scripture? And we're all here in church, so I assume you know the answer is going to be Jesus. Yes, thank you. Uh, Jesus is our source of shalom, but what does that mean? What does shalom look like when you hear a diagnosis that you dread, when you get a pink slip that you don't want, when you have a divorce that you don't want? I want to start with the words of Jesus because his parting gift to his disciples was peace. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. The Gospel of John is the one who records a whole bunch about the last evening. He, he spends almost half his book on the last few days of Jesus' life. And he tells us that that last evening, as Jesus is anticipating his death, that twice he says to his disciples, don't be troubled. And I went back and was reading it this week, and I realized that also twice John records that Jesus himself was troubled. In John 12, 27, Jesus was troubled. He was anxious. He was stirred up. He was distressed when he was facing his own call to die. When he faced what God had called him to do, he was troubled. And in John 13, 21, it says Jesus was troubled when he was facing the betrayal of his close friend and companion, Judas. So twice on the night that Jesus encourages his disciples not to be troubled, he faces betrayal and death so that he can leave peace for them, and he is troubled. He is troubled on our behalf as he looks at what he has to go through in order to provide peace for us. But the peace that he gives us, that whole, those whole closing uh, chapters, and especially 14 where that verse is, is about the gift of peace, and the gift was a person we call Holy Spirit, because peace is a gift of a relationship. It's not something you and I can muster up or manufacture. On my own, I am unsuccessful in living at peace. Even internally, I can have anxiety and depression. I've been unsuccessful in creating peace in family and marriage on my own strength. I've been unable to create peace out there in the world. I've had conflicts with neighbors. I've lived through four church splits. I've been unable to create peace because I'm not the source of peace, and neither are you. But Jesus is. And the way he provides peace, first of all to us, is in this personal way of living in us. The peace we have is that God will never leave us. The Spirit is with us as constant companion and comfort. And he also tells us that it's not the same kind of peace as we get in the world. The peace in the world is created through rules and laws. Most of the peace in the world is through force and power. But Ephesians 2.14 tells us that Jesus is the, also the source of peace between us. It says, He is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. Jesus is the peace 
between Jews and Gentiles. Jesus is the peace between men and women. Jesus is the peace between ethnic groups, between haves and have-nots. Jesus came to bring shalom, to break down the walls of hostility between us. And if we stay stuck in the idea that shalom or peace is all about my personal peace and prosperity, I'm completely missing the heart of God's shalom. It's a false peace, like Jeremiah talked about, people saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Our personal peace is a tiny, tiny part. Shalom is all about a community of peace. Walter Brueggemann's definition is a peaceable life together among the nations and tribes and religious traditions and economic justice so that everybody has enough resources to live a life of safety and dignity. Everyone has a chance at a life of safety and dignity. The peaceable kingdom is, is wide and, and um, the passage that we read from Isaiah, I was thinking about the line that says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And I read a book by that title this week that was talking about the challenges of a multicultural world that we live in and how does the peaceable kingdom come. And it is a, a, a requirement of that kingdom that our nature be changed. Both the wolf and the lamb have to be changed to live in the peaceable kingdom. A wolf's instincts, I think we, I've read that many, many times through the years, and realized that the wolf had to change. The wolf had to give up its instinct to devour the lamb. But I'd never thought about the fact that the lamb also has to change its instinct to run. In order for them to dwell together, both must be changed. And that is our work, friends. Whether you are a wolf or a lamb in your context, a world with safety and dignity will require a transformation of your instinct. And the trouble with instincts is we don't even see them because they're instincts. So that is, that is where the, the work comes. Because shalom is not about, it, it is, shalom is not a gated community. It is the gates of heaven open in Revelation. The gates are never closed. Shalom is an open community of peace, justice, safety, and well-being. The shalom of men is tied to the shalom of women. And I'm here as a sister in Christ to tell you that the women in the world are not flourishing. Gender is still a problem in the world, in Seattle, and even in the church. There's work to be done. The shalom of white people is tied to the shalom of our brothers and sisters of color. And our brothers and sisters of color are telling us they're not flourishing. There's work to be done. The shalom of the West Coast in America is tied to the shalom of middle America. And they're telling us they're not flourishing. There is work to be done. In exile in Babylon, the Jewish people were told, seek the shalom of the city to which I've carried you to exile. Pray to the Lord for, if, for it, because if it, Babylon, experiences shalom, you too will experience shalom. Seek the well-being, the safety, the security, the prosperity, the peace of Babylon, 
the enemy who humiliated them and stole their land? God is saying that Israel's shalom is tied to Babylon's shalom. New York's shalom is tied to Saudi Arabia's shalom. Seattle's shalom is tied to Eastern Washington's shalom. And it's false for us to cry, peace, peace, when there is no peace outside of our bubble. God's shalom excludes no one. There's a second kind of false peace, and that is the peace that's born out of religion. And Scott talked a lot about this in the, when he was discussing the, the subject of covenant. So if you didn't hear that, go back and listen to that. But the basis of it is that religion is a way to manage God. It's saying, if I check the list, go to church, read the Bible, pray without ceasing, give and tithe, then God, and for most Christians that I have heard talk about in this religious way it is, then God will exempt me from pain and suffering. That's religion. And that is not the relationship with God that he intends us to have. Religion is a, gives us a false sense of peace, and that peace does not show up in hospitals. That peace does not show up at 2 a.m. That peace does not transform people, because peace is a gift, and it's born in the deep places of an intimate relationship of knowing and trusting God. <clears throat> Jim Wallace is an evangelical activist, and many of you know him as the editor of Sojourners. Have you heard of him? <clears throat> Some of you have heard of him. Well, he would be considered kind of on the left of the, or the political spectrum. And Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, have you heard of him? He would be considered kind of on the far right of the evangelical political spectrum. And in 1976, Bill Bright and John Conlon made the first attempt at kind of organizing the religious right, and Sojourners did an expose of that story that really embarrassed Bill Bright. And uh, he angrily denounced Wallace at, at a meeting of evangelical leaders where they were together. He actually called him a liar, and they were probably as politically opposite as possible on Vietnam, on domestic issues, and on everything else on the spectrum. And that bitterness between those two men went on for decades. Jim wrote about this in 2004 when we had another contentious election. <clears throat> and he says that finally after decades, he saw Bill at an event. And he went up to him and he said, we have had this painful breach and I am so sorry I have not come to mend that with you and I want to apologize. And Bill Bright then an old man just threw his arms around Jim and said, Jim, that is exactly what the Lord would have us do to come together. And over the next years, those men had conversations. They had conversations about the poor. They had conversations where they talked about their own conversion stories. They talked about their life callings. They talked about their different ministries, and they prayed together. And in 2003... Jim received a letter that said this, <clears throat> Congratulations on your great ministry for our Lord. I rejoice with you. An unexpected gift designated to my personal use makes possible this modest contribution to your magazine. 
I wish I had the means to add at least three more zeros to the enclosed check, warm affection in Christ, Bill. And inside the letter was a check for $1,000. As Jim was literally standing there holding the letter, one of his associates came into the office and said, I just heard Bill Bright died. And they looked at the postmark on the, the letter and figured out that this letter, this sending of money to Jim, might have been one of the last acts of Bill's life. Bill sent a $1,000 gift to the magazine that exposed his most embarrassing moment more than 30 years before as an affirmation of the ministry of another Christian leader who he had once regarded as his enemy. Jim concludes his story with this. The experience of my relationship with Bill Bright has taught me much about the promise and power of reconciliation. I will never again deny the prospect of coming together with those with whom I disagree. It is indeed the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to break down the walls between us. Thank you, Bill. I will never forget you. We're headed somewhere, and we're headed for shalom. We're headed for God's shalom to finally come. The Prince of Peace will come. Turns out it won't be a democracy. It will be a kingdom. The Prince of Peace will rule. There will be a full time of reconciliation where all of creation is restored from its present groanings, as Romans 8 describes it. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. Those sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us. Any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We're enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what it is that's enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. This seems like a great message as we head out to Thanksgiving this week. Thanksgiving is sometimes a place where we break out of our bubble and we're with people who aren't exactly like us. I've been challenged this week to think about breaking that bubble voluntarily. Think about listening to a news feed or a Facebook feed of someone different than you. I'm not talking about listening to rhetoric. I'm not talking about listening to abuse. I'm talking about listening to voices of diversity. Is your news feed diverse? You know, we're always talking about wanting more diversity in churches and and other places, but are are you letting diversity into your life through the podcasts you listen to, through the Facebook feeds that you look at? Less and less are we challenged to step out of our bubble of education or our bubble of faith in Jesus or our bubble of Northwest sensibility, and I'd encourage you to do that. And I just have three applications I want us to think about today. The first is that many of us just need peace. And so in order for us to model God's peace, I'm just going to encourage you to breathe. Keep breathing. Breath, wind, and spirit are in one Hebrew backpack called ruach. They mean the same thing. And breath is a great place to remind us to invite God's spirit as our companion, comforter, and peace, to simply breathe in peace and breathe out fear, to breathe in love 
and breathe out judgment. Second is that we all can be agents of God's shalom. And a very simple place to start is simply by listening. Invite people to share their stories. Let's talk less ideas and more stories. More stories of how people are experiencing life. And finally, be a witness to God's shalom by what you talk about. Let's talk about what we are doing in our role as part of God's shalom plan in the world. Instead of what you're thinking, talk about what are you doing. And I'd encourage us in this season to consider ways that we can be part of this great good that God is doing to bring shalom to the world. Let's pray. Father, we want to participate with you. We want to look ahead with joy and anticipate what you're creating. We look forward to no more weeping. We look forward to wolf and lamb grazing together. We look forward to no more hurt and killing anywhere on your holy mountain. God, may we be agents of change. May we be witnesses to the shalom that you give us. In Christ's name, amen.